Hey, um, have y'all had a good time? I mean a good time, right? Yeah. Well, I am, I'm pumped. I'm thrilled that I get to be up here and, and wrap up um, what has been two of the coolest days I've gotten to experience in a long time, and I hope you feel the same way. Um, that little passage you just read, super much a downer, right? <laughs> Sorry. It's not a downer, though. It's actually, actually kind of awesome. Um, well, I'm Chris, and I know some of you, some of you I know from Bible study. I teach Bible study here at Rock Point, and, um, and that's super fun. I, a couple of things about me you're going to figure out real fast is I like a lot of words, right? And math is terrible. I hate math. Anybody else? Thank you. Look at all these Christians. How do you like math and still be a Christian? I don't know. We'll talk about it later. We'll pray about it. Please, you and your math. I grew up here. I grew up here like legit, like a, a, like a half a mile from here. This is like my bus route, okay? So I've been here a really long time. I was a Marcus Marauder, anybody? I know there's two of them in here. There they are, yes. I love concerts, I love camping, I love cute shoes, which is why I'm wearing these dumb shoes. So everybody please appreciate that. That's for you, it's because I love you. I have a husband who uh, God dropped into my life when I was 15 years old. We got two kids, they're kind of adultish sized. Um, one just graduated from Baylor, Sikkim. Oh no, none of y'all are here because you're at the game, right? Oh, okay, some of you aren't. Uh, I got a daughter who's a sophomore at University of Arkansas. She's super cool. We got two dogs and all of them, all of my family, they're all allowed on the furniture. So come on over anytime. There's dog fur, there's all sorts of stuff. But the thing um, I came up here to talk about today is that after we read that awesome passage that Amy read, you know, and we see this, this little story that can feel really depressing about Elijah and about where he was and about what God did, I, I thought, man, um, the majority of you, me included, have had hard times in our lives where we just kind of wanted to collapse under a broom tree. Amen? Don't raise your hand and be weird. But we have, right? Those broom tree times where we just, we just fall down and we're like, you know what? I think I'm just done. And I have been blown away by listening to all the speakers and, and of course all the music and all the stories. And it's like, I feel this reoccurring theme and it's almost like, it's almost like God had a plan that he wants us to hear something today. And I think he wants us to understand something about the way he rescues and so that's my word. My word is rescue. Listen, if you have your Bible or your phone or whatever, open it up to 1 Kings chapter 19. And um, it, don't make fun of people if they use a table of contents because some technical writers like worked super hard on those. So look it up if you don't know where it is. It's okay, it's okay. I'm gonna pray. And then we're gonna, we're gonna roll through the scripture together. Okay, will you pray with me? Father, um, I just pray that these are your words, not mine. Use my story, use our stories. Show us what you want us to understand about you and how you love us. Thank you that you um, have us in this place together, God, that you have a plan. Man, you're cool like that. You have these purposeful plans and we don't even see it coming. And so today I pray that as we wrap up this time together, that we all step out of here with a little more purpose and a little more trust and a little more hope. And so Father, we ask all these things in your precious son's name, amen. Well, 1 Kings 19, where you do a lot of light reading, hang out there, right? A lot of devotionals, a lot of Instagram in 1 Kings 19. No, probably not, right? Well, we're going to take a look at it. We're going to start with verse 3, okay? So 1 Kings 19, verse 3. The reason I wanted to start this story there was, was, was because I think that it says something about Elijah, but I think it says something about all of us that we can relate to, right? 
The very first sentence says this, that Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. I love that it then goes into verses four and five and it says, and they came to this broom bush and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Broom trees and desert um, shrubs, you know, in the Bible, they always appear. This is so cool. I love when God does stuff like this, okay? This is cool. They always appear in times of despair, but you know what they're always coupled with? A unique encounter with God. So, so look for it, okay? And I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but, but it's not lost on me, man, that those go hand in hand, that like the despair goes hand in hand with this divine interaction with God, right? Both together. Have you had a broom tree time? Have you had a moment of despair where things just felt just unfixable, unrepairable? And maybe, maybe you wanted to die literally, maybe not literally. Um, maybe you afraid of, felt afraid, maybe felt hopeless. Maybe you felt like your circumstances were really unfair. Anybody? Yeah. Maybe you were just exhausted. Maybe you were just done. Well, my broom tree moment. Well, the one I'm gonna tell you about. <laughs> I've had a couple. Um, started out as the best week of my life. You see, um, there's a picture. Put that picture up there if you got a cam. Okay, now, try to figure out which one I am. Ready? Ready? Pretend like I have sunglasses on. Got it? You got me? You see me? There, see? I just, that's my thing. There I am. This was when I was 15 years old. I was on the greatest trip of my life. It was going to be the greatest week of my life. It was at a Young Life summer camp. And, and here's what you got to know. Like I told you, I grew up right down the road. I had a church growing up, but it wasn't a church like this church, man. It, it, was, it was a church. It was fine. And it was right down the road from 7-Eleven. Right, mom? Wherever you are, we get Slurpees. That's how she get us to go to church. Try that. It's a great parenting tip. I didn't learn about Jesus from church. I learned about Jesus through Young Life. And see, when I was 15 years old, I went on a ski trip and, and there was, here's what I knew about Jesus. Ready? This is deeply theological, so everybody hang on. There was these weird college people and they hung out with us teenagers and, and they wanted to talk to us and they wanted to listen to us and they wanted to follow God and they were really funny and they sang goofy songs and I wanted to be just like them. And that's the first Jesus I met. I met Jesus in my home. My parents were amazing, godly people. That was fabulous. My home was an amazing place for where I saw Christ at work. But when I really, really wanted to step into my faith myself, it was because these young life leaders, man, they stepped into my world and they hung out with me. And so I said, yes. I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying yes to. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart. I have no idea what this means. Well, six months later, this trip happens. Best week of your life, summer camp. Two days into the best week of my life, uh, my young life leader, the same one that helped me pray Jesus into my heart, came to me right after like we were eating or something in the dining hall, which sidebar, dining hall, a couple days before there had been this moment where I had one of my buddies come introduce me to this new kid, which I'll get to the new kid in a minute. I'm like, this new kid's been on the trip with us. I don't even know his name. And so I made him give me, you know, you had those times like we were hanging out with somebody and you're like, we've been hanging out together for like a week. I don't even know your name. So we had to have one of those weird moments. Anyway, it was at the dining hall and it was at this camp. And so anyway, there we were, you know, on top of a mountain. Two days later, um, my young life leader walks up to me and his eyes are all red, you know, 
He's got that look, right? Won't look at me in the eye. And he came over to me and he said, um, hey, Chris, uh, you're going to have to go home with your dad. And I don't remember words after that. I just knew that one life was over and a new life was starting. Okay. You have one of those? One of those just where you just collapse down under the broom tree, right? Like you're just like, done. Well, I came home and not only had I lost my dad, but I'd lost my dad to suicide. And, and I, I told you we had this great, awesome, cool family, right? Like we love Jesus. We'd go get Slurpees and go to church and we did all the things. And, and all of a sudden everything was different and messy and broken and not fair, illogical, wrong, right? Well, many days um, in my teenager self sat under that figurative broom tree. You know, there was many days that I felt collapsed, you know? I was scared. I was unfair. I was done. Have you been there? Are you there? Are you walking alongside somebody that you love that maybe they're there? And you just don't even know what to do, right? Like, what do you even do? Well, let's take a look at Elijah's moment like that. See, we pick up this story and, I, and I'm not gonna go into too much detail because you can, like I said, you know, light reading later on tonight, just go read First Kings. It's so fun. You're gonna love it. Um, but when we pick up this story when he's afraid and he's in the wilderness and he's collapsed, right? Here's what just happened, okay? What has just happened is, is that God had vindicated him by fire. It was like this whole big thing. And there was Mount Carmel and he was there and he was in front of the prophets of Baal. And it was like, this is what he was made to do, man. He was um, a prophet. And in the Old Testament, a prophet is basically the voice of God. So like God would talk to these prophets and the prophets would then represent God to the people, okay? And so now he's doing all the God stuff. Like he's obedient, he's following God, he's doing all the things. And he has this expectation for what's coming. But now Jezebel is after him and has basically said like a couple chapters, I mean, excuse me, a couple paragraphs before has basically said uh, that, that, that he's gonna be killed. And it's a real big contrast, right? To what Elijah was expecting. I think always those broom tree moments, those broom tree times, right? It's never what we expect, right? We don't see it coming. And so he expected to be surrendered to instead he found himself shattered and broken under a tree wanting to die. And that's the beginning of our story. Well, his broom tree moment. Well, let me go back. Broom trees. Remember I told you the desert shrub thing? Okay, listen to this. This is so cool. So every time that you see desert shrubs appear in the Bible, I mentioned that it's always something about despair, but then also about this divine interaction with God, with this person, okay? Here's a couple examples. Jot them down. You're gonna wanna look them up. In the book of Job... Job 30, verses three through four, Job describes the broom tree as a place of desolation, ruin, and abandonment. Job knew that. And the psalmist in Psalm 120, he connects the broom tree with mourning and distress and punishment. And then in Genesis, oh man, in Genesis 21, there's this young mom who finds herself out in the middle of, of the wilderness and she has little to sustain her. So she wanders until she runs out of water and then she places her son under the broom tree and she's pretty much just expecting to die until God, right? 
These are just over and over we see. And so now we have Elijah, same thing. How did he feel? I love that, that the author sh shares with us like right from the get-go how he feels. Because immediately, even if you're not in a wilderness and you don't even know what the heck a broom tree is, you can relate, right? Because immediately we know this, verses three through five go like this. Reread them in case you forgot a few minutes ago. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day journey into the wilderness, he came to the broom bush. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Verse five, then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. He was afraid. Do you think he felt alone? Do you think he felt unseen? I mean, he's talking to God, but don't, don't you hear in his voice? He's just like, you know what? I've done all these things and you've just left me here. That's what I hear. I hear that he felt ignored. I hear that he felt exhausted. And so he fell asleep. You know, the interesting thing to this whole part, remember I told you he's like this big um, man of God. He's done all these amazing big God things, big show off you got things, right? But here's what's cool, not cool. Here's what's weird. There's no prelude to what we see happening here. Like we don't see like he was a great man and he was just having a moment, right? You don't see that at all. I mean, it's like this stark contrast to what you read literally a chapter before. And that happens that way sometimes, doesn't it? You know, life just smacks you down so hard that there's no answer. There's not even a minute to take a breath. And that's, that's what happens. We do that, don't we? We let our feelings tell us the truth. I feel like right then, maybe he was so exhausted. Maybe he was so cooked and so done that he was just like, you know what? I'm gonna give in to all the feelings and all the things and all the voices in my head right now, God, because you have let me down. I think about that, that picture you know, I, I, I felt that in my moment. You probably have too. Well, we know what he felt. So what did God do? You know, here's what's interesting about God. He shows up when he's taking a nap, right? Isn't that cool? So, hey, wise man once told me, Ron Holton, Pastor Ron Holton, told me one time, I was telling him, I always have trouble like preparing for lectures for Bible study. And I was like, God, I get so twisted up and I get so messed up. And I'm like, I just, I, I don't know what to do. And he goes, you know what? Take a nap. I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> what did you just say? He's like, yeah, man, sometimes the godliest thing you can do is take a nap. You write that down. Jot, that's a t-shirt right there. It's your pastor, everybody. Well, I love it. I love it because see, here's what's cool is that um, he was exhausted. He did need rest, but God knew what he needed to rescue him. You see, he, he needed a snack and a nap, you know? I mean, God loves to fulfill these tangible needs that we have. Why do we always expect there to be this big, like, you know, lightning show and like, I don't know, you know, all these things, but sometimes God's like, hey, you know, girl, you tired? Well, why don't you lay down for just a minute? You know, you hungry? Because if you're cranky, you're probably hungry right? Have a snack. I, I love how he met those needs. Even when Elijah couldn't even say what the needs were, right? He just fell down and went to sleep and God sends an angel. That word angel we see there, it's, it's the Hebrew is kind of calls it a messenger. There's some discussion about what that actually person was. Some people think it might have been um, Jesus, there's a couple of places in the Old Testament. We feel like Jesus, the person, shows up on the scene. We don't know, but here's what we do know, is this was God's rescue and God's intentional rescue, you know? 
I think about Psalm 23, one through three. I know we all, I don't care if you've ever had a Bible in your life, you've heard Psalm 23, probably a million times, you know? But you know what I think about when we're talking about this whole rest thing? I think about this, the first couple of verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. It doesn't say, he invites me to lie down if I feel like I'm tired or if I wanna just pause for a minute, does it? It says he what? He makes you. He makes you lie down. I, a couple years ago, we did Psalms and I loved studying the 23rd Psalm because I found this really great article about sheep. And those of you that were in the study, you know exactly what I'm about to say. And you know what it said? It basically said that sheep are dumb and directionless. Dumb and directionless. Hey, guess what? I got news for everybody. Guess what we are referred to as in God's word? You are dumb and you are directionless. Aren't you so happy you came? That's that's the greatest piece of information. But man, it's true. You see, he has to make us lie down because we are not the ones who will lie down. We don't follow Pastor Ron's advice, do we? And so in that moment, you know, when Elijah collapses under the broom tree, I don't really feel like he like brought a blanket and, and everything and a pillow and stuff. And like, I feel like he was broken and done and God made him lie down. Good parenting tip. Don't ask questions. When you, when you think about it, when you're parenting your kid or you're babysitting a kid or you just have known a kid, I don't know. When it's time for bed, do you do this? Hey, do you want to go to bed? Because if you do, stop doing that. Bad parenting. You're welcome. You don't ask, man. You say, it's time for bed. Maybe you say, it's time for bed. You can either get in the bed or sleep on the floor. I don't know what you say, but don't ask the question. And I feel kind of like that's what we're seeing here. It's like, God knows the best. He knows the best way to rescue us. And in this particular story, and probably in ours too, a lot of times it's a snack and a nap. Well, The other thing that I see here, not only did God um, show up with this messenger and while he slept, he took care and he knew exactly how to rescue, but God also did a few things here that were interesting. You see, he sent the rescue while he rested. And so I thought this, I thought about this. You know, God knew what was coming. He, if you read ahead in the story, here's what comes next, okay? What happens next is in verse eight that, that God basically says like, you're gonna need to rest and you're gonna need a snack because there's something big coming. You're gonna take this trek. It's gonna be a 40 day, 40 night, 250 mile hike with sandals on, right? And so you're gonna need to fuel up. And so I think about us, he knows what's coming. He knew what was coming. I had no idea what I needed. I had no idea how I needed to be rescued. Other thing I think about is, is that, um, you know, I don't know if your Bible, maybe you have the message, maybe it told you this. It, I noticed this, God never told him why. Did you see that? Like God never, there wasn't ever a, a dialogue where God's like, I'm gonna give you snacks. I'm gonna cook something right by your head, a buttermilk pie or sky, whatever that is. <laughs> I'm gonna make you eat that. And then I'm gonna give you some water. It's gonna be nice and cold and chill. It's gonna be fabulous. Maybe a LaCroix, maybe the sparkly kind, I don't know. And then I give you a pillow and you're gonna rest and here's why we're doing it. You see, he didn't do that when he rescued him, right? He didn't tell him the why, the why came later. And so why do we think we deserve the why? 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 I love uh, Ken Geyer, one of my favorite authors said one time, um, in the Bible, it says, be still and know that I am God. It does not say be still and know why. 
Sometimes we don't get the why, do we? Another thing I noticed when I was thinking about this rescue, I thought, you know, God didn't undo the difficult circumstance. Did you see that? You know, God can do this. God can reach his God hand down and pluck up his precious prophet and and pull him out of the wilderness and set him beside a pool at some fancy resort. He can do that because he's God, but he didn't, did he? I think about um, my life. I think about when I was in that broom tree time, when I was... um, experiencing the greatest week of my life, right? I, I, um, I went home, things got hard. And uh, as you can imagine, it was just a crazy whirlwind. But here's what's funny about that story, about that group of kids, about that girl. Can you put that picture back up there, Cam? Because I just like to do this, it's just cool. So there's this one person, Susan Murphy's laughing. There's this one person in this picture And let's bring this back, girls in the back, back there. Let's bring back the hang loose. There's this 15-year-old kid up in the upper left-hand corner, and he's giving us the hang loose. Now, that's a new kid. And see, I didn't know the new kid at the time, but like I said, I had a friend introduce me to the new kid, and I come to know that his name is Brent, right? Well, something I want you to know about about my broom tree moment when I had to leave the best week of my life is is all these people in this picture, I knew most of them, because remember I told you, you're, you're like here at my bus route. So like I knew everybody except this new kid. And so when the news came down that one of us was going to have to go home, they all lined up. I can still see it. All the awkward teenagers lined up along the sidewalk. And uh, my roommates had already packed up my bags, you know, and I was just in this daze, man. I, I can't even, but I walked down the sidewalk and they'd reach out and hug me and say, bye, we love you. And they'd pray for me and all these things. And then that awkward teenager, 15-year-old boy, reaches out and gives me one of these. That was it. <laughs> but you know what's cool about that? Um, this wasn't my rescue, but you know what it was? I think it was, um, it was a reminder. I didn't see it then, I see it now. Because when I got in the van, I, I laid in the back of the van and I pretended to be asleep because I didn't want to have to talk to my young life leader. Right? I didn't want to process any of this. I just want to just go. And I thought about that weird new kid. Like, why did he do that? He doesn't even know me. And then I went back home and I went to my new normal. But see, what I didn't know at the time, what Elijah didn't know at the time when he was broken under a tree, asleep, wanting to die, was that God knew what was coming next. He knew. And sometimes we got to collapse in the desert and we got to go through the very worst, you know? And as a 15-year-old kid, I assure you, what I was stepping into was the very worst, This quote I read one time by Gerald May hits it on the head, man. He said this, and just just think about your your broom tree time when I say this. Okay, just think about it for a minute. Don't think about um, uh, mine, you know, think about yours. Something deep and wonderful happens in the going through. So we must resist the urge to provide an escape if that we were, if that, that was even possible, because the struggle or the groaning or the grief or the pain, it's the very thing that is able to do a beautiful work within us. And all there is for us to do is to trust. Is to trust that God really is in control, to trust that God really is up to something in spite of all appearances. 
Do you trust that God really is up to something despite all appearances? Like, I don't know. I look through this room. I know some of the stories in this room and they hurt me too. I don't know every story, but God knows every story in every chair. And I think sometimes I believe, I believe all the time that in the going through, we learn to trust that God really is up to something. Even when we feel tired and unseen and all alone and done, right? Even when you don't know what's next, even if you never understand why, even though the hard stuff doesn't go away. Listen, I got two questions I wanna leave you with that I want you to write down. I want you to think about it. Two things. The first is this. Who have you invited into your broom tree time? Who have you invited in? Um, you need to talk to God. You need to talk to people. This is what I know. I know, I'm, I'm also like Rebecca, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Amen, anyone, anyone? Recovering because we never end. The journey never ends, right? I wanna fix you. I wanna fix everything. I carry that. And that's, that's not what God intended because you know what? While sometimes he invites me into the rescue, he is the rescuer, Chris is not, amen? And so I would say to you, quit trying to fix stuff. Instead, release control. And you know what? Find a buddy. Let me tell you, there's about 260 of them in the room right now. You can find one. Give her a pie. She will be your best friend. (laughs) There's more. I'm sure there's more out there. But let me just tell you this. If you, I know some people feel like I'm all alone and I'm isolated and I'm under the broom tree and I have the cloud over my head and, you know, I get it, man. I've been there. I know it. I know it. But let me just tell you that there are people that will love you. And here's how they will love you. They will keep you accountable. And here's what they will do. They will look you in the eye. Amy Koch is one of them for me who will look me in the eye and look at me and say, no, no, don't tell me you're fine. Tell me the truth. And those people will come alongside you and pray. And even if they're not eloquent with words like Amy is, they will pray over your brokenness and your loneliness and your afraidness. That's not a word. Find those people. Be honest with God. Be honest with the people he puts in your life. Listen, I want you to understand this. Doubt and despair do not cancel out your prayers. Do you understand that? That doubt is not the opposite of faith. And so if you walked in today with like loads of doubt and you're like, I'm not sure about this nonsense. Let me just tell you, every chair in this room has dealt with that. And you know what doubt does? This is, the, this is not in here. This is in here. I think doubt builds our faith. I think it strengthens it. I really do. So, When you have doubts, be honest with God. Be honest with the people he puts in your life. The other question I have for you is this. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? I mean, really, really ask yourself the question. Because we know what to say, right? Just Jesus, he's our Lord and Savior. We say that. But do we live it, man? I don't know. I know I don't sometimes. We gotta trust the plan maker. You see, first you get to know him and here's how you do that. He left the word for you. He left this whole thing so that we can understand who he is, the character of who he is. You know, we are in there. We're like in there. There's like parts of you that is just in there, but it is about him and he wants you to know him. And so he left this for you to know him. You know what else he did? 
He gave you best friends that know him. Spend time with him. For me, when I look back and I think about who I trusted through all of this stuff, you know, when I was 15, I, I would have not have told you what I can tell you now, obviously, because now I'm 25 and I've matured immensely. <laughs> that was way too big of a laugh. Don't laugh that much. Just a little off. No, but isn't that the way it is? I mean, it's what Don said too. You know, we remember, we have the memorial stones of our lives that we look back, not just to look back, but to look forward. And see, I think about my life this way. When I sat down, I was like, okay, well, who do I trust? Do I trust the plan maker? Here's why I trust the plan maker. Because of what I lived through with my family, I learned that there's a lot of stuff in this world that people think is important that is not important. Amen? There's a lot of stuff that we spend time doing that just doesn't matter. I learned that comforting others can come easy. And you know what that means? You know what comforting other means? It just means listen. It doesn't mean have advice. You know what else? This, this little, side, little side bit. Don't hit people over the head with God's word. Don't do that to them. Because you know what? Just because it's true doesn't mean it's always helpful. And when you are in the most broken place under the broom tree and you are falling apart, you know what you want? Well, you want a snack and you want a nap, but you also want somebody to just listen and just say, oh man, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I wish I, I, wish I could. I'm just here. I don't know. I'm so sorry. Don't tell them that God works everything out for the good of those who love him. Not then. Tell them later, Right? This is true, we know it's true, but sometimes it's not helpful. And so I know that comforting others can, can be a thing that God can create in our lives when we go through things. I also know that he gives us platforms and perspectives. Listen, I can say with 100% certainty, God didn't say it in his God voice, but I can tell you right now, I would never be standing up here doing what I'm doing today. I just looked at my mom, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> if it weren't for what we went through as a family, I just know it. Now I accepted him. He was in my heart at ski camp. No one accepts Jesus at ski camp. That's a young life mantra. But I did because he knew what was coming. I didn't know, but he did. He gives us platforms and perspectives. And you know what else he does? He gives us this. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up. He gives us legacies. I'll tell you a really funny story. Um, years ago, I had to tell my kids how my dad died. It's hard, hard, right? I mean, I know a lot of people in this room have stories that are hard to share, right? And I had to look my kids in the eye and I prayed a lot about it. My husband and I just prayed for the opportunity and God gave us the opportunity to tell them, you know, your grandpa, John, this is how he died. And that was, that was a bad day. But you know what's cool about that? I conjured up this whole thing about what I thought it was gonna look like for my kids. And they were so cool about it. They were like, oh, oh, okay, yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, can we go back? Can we do? And they just went back about doing life. Okay. And so I'm like, I think I did that wrong. I think there should have been more drama. Something didn't go right. Okay. So fast forward, you know, a few months and my daughter went out for cupcakes with her dad one time and she, uh, she went to the store and they went and got cupcakes and she was wearing her school uniform. And, and the girl that was working the register looked at her uniform. She goes, Oh, I went to that school. And my little kid, you know, she was like, I don't know, nine at the time, Maya. Um, 
And she looked at the girl and she goes, oh yeah, okay. You know, they kind of talk. And then my husband just kind of being friendly, picking out cupcakes, thinking no big deal, goes, oh, how was your experience there? She goes, I graduated from there. How is it? How? She goes, well, actually it was terrible. And Brent's like, all right. Um, oh, that red velvet? No. <laughs> but this is what happened. You know, um, Maya asked, why? And she said, well, I graduated last year and my dad, my dad killed himself and everybody turned their back on me and, and I felt alone and no one, no one cared about me. And, you know, that was her perspective. I'm not saying that that was true. I'm just saying that was where this girl was coming from. And my husband, can you imagine? He's sitting there going, oh my gosh, what is happening? And my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter looks up to her and she goes, hey, you know what? My mom, her dad killed himself too. And you know what? My dad was there. You know that? And they're still together. I'll have the chocolate. <laughs> And, and, the, and the girl just kind of didn't know what to do. And Brent calls me later from the phone after he dropped her back off at school. And he's like, you're not gonna believe what just happened. But you know what I saw in that story? My story became her story. And, and I don't know what your story is of being under the broom tree. I don't know what it is, but I will tell you this, that you have an opportunity to pass it down because in that moment, I don't know where the cupcake girl is, but I do think for just a second, she felt hopeful. And here's why. Because the boy, the hang loose boy, the weird Real cute one. He's real cute though. So cute. He became my best friend. And then two years after that, he became my boyfriend. And then seven years after that, he became my husband. And God knew. It's like he knew what I needed. And see, the coolest thing is, you can put that other picture up. You know, this thing happened at Frontier Ranch. And that's don't, I mean, tattoo, don't, don't get a tattoo. I don't recommend it, but I have a couple. And this is Frontier Ranch. And you know what's cool about this picture? Those are my kids. And every time we go past this place, we stop and take a picture because we have a story that happened there. And you know what happened? Now my kids have a Frontier story because now they're both doing Young Life. And now they're both trying to share Jesus with other kids. And now they both have had experiences at this same place. And, and I just don't believe that that was a coincidence. I just don't believe that it was. I believe that it was a God who saw that I needed rescue, I needed a snack and a nap. And he stepped into a 15-year-old girl's life and he did something that didn't remove the hard, that didn't explain the why, but instead it gave me something to trust that was bigger than my circumstances and my feelings. I hope you have that too. I hope that you understand that this whole weekend is all about that hope. Do you trust that God is really up to something? He knows what's coming. He may not tell you why, and he may not remove the pain, but he's with you and he sees you and he'll provide what you need. Sometimes it's a snack and a nap, right? Sometimes it's bigger. I'm gonna pray for us, okay? And then we're gonna have the worship team come back up and we're gonna do something special to close out our time together, okay? So will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, um, hey, thanks for snacks. Thanks for naps. But more than that, thank you for um, answering prayers that we don't even have the words to groan for, God. Thank you for knowing. Thank you for knowing what's coming. Thank you for... Um, 
not always telling us why. Because I feel like God, you know, sometimes if you were to tell us the why of things, maybe we would be more prone to trust ourselves. I don't know. But instead, we lean into faith and we trust you because we don't know what's next, but God, you do. So Heavenly Father, um, if there's anybody in this room, Lord, who needs to understand that, who needs to know you in a deeper way, God, I pray that they feel the hope that they can have through you because of your son. And God, if anybody in this room has questions, Lord, I pray that they do not leave this place without talking to somebody, making a friend. And Lord, above all, I pray that they leave here talking to you. Thank you that you love us enough to invite us into those difficult places so that we can know you in a deeper way. Thank you, God. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.